Hello, friends. We are back with another episode of the Effective Church Leaders Podcast, where we offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive. I'm your host, Carrie Holton, and I'm joined by my co-host, the lovely Dr. Becky Holton. <laughs> Good morning, hon. Good to see you this morning. You sound like you've had a smidge too much coffee. Oh, uh, probably so. Oh, well, listen, why don't you tell our listeners what we're talking about today, okay? Sure. We we wanted to talk about when it's time for a minister to move from a local church and when it's not a good time to move. But first, we have some unfinished work to take care of from last week's podcast, I believe. Yes, we do. You know, we got some response from last week's podcast yeah. on longevity and ministry. We always welcome responses from our listeners, whether it's a word of commendation and encouragement or a question or even a criticism of what we say and recommend. If you're sweet, only if you're sweet. We much prefer the word of commendation. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, we actually like to hear pushback if people... That's right. And people have been very kind about what they say and the some that have pushed back, and it's been helpful to have those conversations. Very helpful, mm-hmm. yes. And as you say, we did get some response from last week's episode, so... What do you say we get right to it? Absolutely. If you didn't hear episode 61, listeners, uh, we were encouraging ministers to plan to stay put if they could. We discussed many advantages to staying in a place for a good long while. And I, I believe the exact words we said were, don't look to move away too quickly. Is that the right terminology I That's think, right. that we mm-hmm. used? And we encouraged church leaders to plan to keep their ministers a good long while if they could, and especially if it was in the best interest of the church. We encouraged church leaders to try to enter a, you know, a long-term relationship with their ministers. That's right, babe. Well, one of the listeners, one of our listeners responded with this question. What do you do when the longevity of a minister is actually hurting the church instead of helping? Could that even be an issue? And my guess is that this listener has been in a church in which he thought it was not good for the church for the minister to stay. You know, I'm glad this person asked that question mm-hmm. because, you know, and apparently this listener felt it was past time for a certain minister to resign or to retire or to move to another work, and it's a great question. Yes, it is, and I guess we should have added the thought in last week's podcast that it is not always good for a minister to stay in a certain place. True. Certainly, if a minister is hurting the church, we would hope that the leaders of the church would step up and lead and actually take care of the situation. And I do believe that, for example, elders are given the responsibility in the New Testament of leading and protecting the flock. That speaks of their role as shepherds. And they are given the responsibility of exercising oversight. I get that from Acts 20 and 1 Peter 5. So certainly, if a minister is hurting a church by staying, those who are responsible for the health and welfare of the flock should take action and do what is in the best interests of the flock. I guess that would mean that the elders would want to discuss the problem with their minister and maybe arrive at some exit strategy if that's what's warranted at that point. They are not really faithful to their charge if they continue to let a minister harm or damage damage the spiritual health of those in their charge. They just really aren't. I think you're right about that. But, you know, honey, you and I both know 
that some shepherd teams are really hesitant to hold a minister accountable in these ways. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. I mean, holding people accountable for their words and actions is not always the most pleasant task. Well, I think I might say it's, it's never the most pleasant task, holding people accountable. I mean, who likes to confront someone and say, uh, you're not doing your job? Right. Well, I think those conversations are hard, but in my opinion, they can be easier if um, there are some things that precede the hard conversations. Okay. I don't think people, ministers in particular, should be hijacked with like, hey, surprise, here's a gift certificate to U-Haul. Well, no. I don't think that, you know, if there has been, when a person is hired, a minister is hired, there's a job description. And there's expectations for what their job is to look like. And that's even talked about before they're hired. Absolutely. And then after they're hired, there's follow-up. And where the elders or the shepherds will say, hey, here are some of the things that we feel like are priority. Could you get back with us about some ideas of how you move want to move forward with that? Maybe there is one or two spiritual leaders, mentors, accountability partners that the minister would have that's not there to, um, you know, just be, what do you want to call them, a helicopter, a person that just is always hovering over Mm -hmm. them and pushing buttons, but it's someone that chooses to walk alongside them, help them stay on task, but especially pray for them. Um, But most of all, what is on, what is the focus of all of this accountability is the mission of the church. And that unless there is mission and and accountability for how the minister's job is to help lead and fulfill that mission, then I really feel sorry for a lot of ministers that just get, they get sacked without really even knowing what the expectations were. They may not have seen a job description since, you know, right before they were hired. Okay. So to me, those conversations are always hard and and they're uh, difficult to have but i think if it can be where there's been some conversations preceding that about accountability expectations support guidance prayer to help a minister fulfill those then you know it may be a mutual decision where they say that we're just not on the same page because there is not a focus on the mission of the church right just, well, it's not I think happening. you're probably also talking about uh, maybe the value of performance reviews. Yes, yes. I mean, you're, what you're saying staff, is you I don't would, want to yeah. spring it on a minister that, hey, you're not doing your job, you're out. We've heard of that before. Oh, yeah. And I mean, just blindsided. Or maybe one person gets a performance review, but other staff members don't get one. I mean, there's just some... It's not above the board. Let's get it out in the open. Let's talk about it. Let's be on point together because it's not about high high supervision and hovering over a staff member. It is about how we all move forward with the jobs that we have to help the church be healthy and reach the mission of Christ on earth. That's what it's about. Okay, but I think our listener who asked this question would say, okay, our minister had a job description uh, our minister had uh, maybe quarterly performance reviews. He had a group of people who uh, stayed in touch with him and conversed with him about how well he was helping the church accomplish their mission, but he's still not doing the job we need him to do, mm-hmm. and it's not good for him to stay here. Mm-hmm. Then what do we do? Right. And, right. and I guess what we're saying here is that a church has a right to expect their shepherds 
to look out for the welfare of the church. Right. And and to act in the best interests of the church. And if they decide, after much prayer and discussion, and after all the things you talked about, after the job description, after the performance reviews, after the uh, expectations that they agreed upon and so forth, after, after much prayer and discussion, and probably after receiving input even from people in the church that they trust, that a minister's service with their church needs to come to an end, then a church has a right to expect their leaders to take care of the situation, to take care of the church, no matter how unpleasant that task may be. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I'm just saying what I was, you know, making a comment on is that this surprise and just kind of tackling somebody in the end zone is um, sometimes those surprises aren't even necessary. Um, sometimes people can reach a mutual decision about that. Okay. But, you know, as we said, the termination of a minister's service, you know, it just might be a mutual decision between the leaders of the church and, and the minister. And sometimes, as you say, the overseers of the church may need to act without the consent of the minister. And sometimes they need to act swiftly. And I would say most certainly what I said earlier about accountability um, and the slower process would not apply to moral failure, which, by the way, would also be a part of expectations uh, for the minister in the in the uh, job description. Um, but sometimes the overseers may need to act very swiftly. And again, it is for the good of the church. Good point. Good point. And but I have another question I want to ask you. Okay. What, what if you believe your minister is hurting the church? You know, you're you're a person in the pew. What if you believe your minister is hurting the church, but your elders or leaders won't do anything about it? You know, what if they're they're just content to let the minister stay, even though you don't think it's in the best interest of the church? Yikes. That's a a tough question. Well, I know there may be some listeners out there who've had this question or have this question. What if your leaders won't act for one reason or another? What if they don't believe the minister needs to go, even though you really do? And it's not... And it's not just a vicious feeling. It is really about the health of a church. What if they are so, what if these leaders, they're just so close to the minister that they let their personal feelings for him and his family cloud their judgment and keep them from doing what you think might needs to be done? You know, in other words, what if loyalty and partiality with the overseers trumps the health of the church, and the mission of the church. What do you do? Well, I'll uh, jump in where angels fear to tread, I'm sure. I know, and that's a really hard question. And can we just probably say we're speaking in generalities. Yeah. Everything is case-specific. Well, I'll, I'll offer a few suggestions and see what you think about them. First okay. of all, I, I don't feel church members should assume that their leaders are doing nothing. So if they bring their concerns to the leaders of the church or if they see nothing being done, I'm saying uh, please don't assume that your leaders are doing nothing. It could be that they have spoken with the minister about concerns they may have or concerns that have been brought to their attention, and they cannot let anyone in the church know that they have addressed those concerns with the minister or nor should they let anyone know sure. in some cases. 
you know, conversations like this between the minister and the shepherds probably should remain with them, generally speaking. So my first bit of advice would be don't assume the shepherds are not trying to address a problem simply because it does not appear to you that they are not doing anything. One thing I would add to that, and I think you're exactly right, is that um, if leadership of this church, the overseers of the church, have developed a leadership history that's trustworthy, that's really going to be helpful in this point because if leaders have already demonstrated that they're going to follow up, if they're, they really care about the health of the church, then I think members will, will trust that they're working. Um, and by the way, trust, as, as people who have taken our Effective Church Leaders workshop know, trust is a foundational, foundational number one, so vital characteristic that is important for church leaders. And if they have already, uh, you know, demonstrated that they're people that can be trust and they're going to act on things that affect the, the health of the church, then I think that helps church members to say, you know, I know they're doing something. Or a church member can even say, I don't need to know what y'all are doing. Are you giving attention to it? That's all I need to know. Good. Okay. I like that idea. I think that's, I think that thought has a, gr- a great amount of value there is that uh, leaders need to develop a culture of trust. Yes. yes. So that maybe people in the pews are not questioning what they do or don't do. Well, right. And don't get me started on the importance of trust in leaders. I mean, oh my goodness, that, that churches have many churches globally have created a, a culture that we now know was not worthy of trust. So now more than ever, church leaders really do see, need to see that it's vital that they develop um, a culture of trust and that they themselves as leaders are trustworthy people in everything. And it doesn't mean you do full disclosure, but you're going to need to give a little bit of information to say, we're doing something. Thank you. Please pray. Well, and the truth of the matter, honey, is that leaders are trusted. Yes. I mean, people who are not trusted may be in a position of leadership, but they may only wear a title. Right. They're not going to have any influence over those who don't trust them. Absolutely. But anyway, that's that's a whole other matter, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay, we better get back to what we're talking about. <laughs> so so our first, my first suggestion is don't assume the elders are not doing anything. Yes. My second suggestion is that if you have concerns about the minister— if you feel he is damaging the church, then you need to share your concerns with the leaders of the church and only the leaders of the church. I think that to speak with others about it would be wrong. Well, would you go to the minister first and speak with him or her about your concerns? I mean, that's Matthew 18, isn't it? That's what Matthew 18 advises. You know, if your brother sins against you, go and point out the fault when two of you are alone. Well, I'm sure some people are going to disagree with me on this, but I I would not go to the minister with my complaints and concerns. Really? Yeah. I would go to the leaders of the church. You big heathen. (laughs) (laughs) I'd I'd go to the shepherds. Now, you brought up Matthew chapter 18. I, I don't think Matthew chapter 18 applies in the case that we're talking about. Matthew 18 applies in in my understanding. And, uh, you know, I could be wrong about this. I've been known to be wrong. I'm being quiet. It's very seldom, but (laughs) (laughs) Matthew 18 applies when someone sins against us. That's a good distinction. Well, in that case, if someone sins against us, we should go to that person 
to the one who sinned against us. That's what Matthew 18 teaches. And we should do that before we speak about it with anyone else. But I think in this case, when a person feels the minister is really not helping the church, in fact, is hurting the church, maybe not feeding the church, well, I think that concern should be taken directly to the leaders of the church, to the elders. That makes sense because you would be addressing with the elders what they're responsible for. Right. And that is the feeding of the church. Well, yes. And think about what might happen if you went to the minister with your complaints and concerns. I mean, first of all, you might be doing damage to your relationship with that minister. Mm -hmm. Second, you might really hurt that minister, lower his self-confidence perhaps, uh, affect the way he does his work in the church. I just think it's the elder's job here to feed the church and to make sure the church is fed and to protect the church. It's not, it's not your job as a person in the pew to protect the church from those who would hurt the church. So take that concern to the elders and let them deal with it would be my suggestion. Could we say that there might be a good time to go talk to the minister for purposes of clarity? If we heard something in a sermon that we may have really disagreed with, uh, to give the minister the benefit of the doubt that maybe they got their words tangled or we didn't understand what they were saying or to ask for more information um, to make sure that we're understanding what was actually said, going to him for purposes of clarity, would that be helpful? Sure. I, I think that's a good distinction. If you're looking to clarify something, go talk to the minister. If you're just looking to complain or share a concern that you have with him, take that to the elders. Okay. Okay. You you okay with that? I am. I think that, especially pointing out that Matthew 18 is talking about someone sinning against us. It's more of a personal thing. This is more about the feeding of the church. Yes. So you go to the source. Right. I, I think that's the best way to apply this case. You know, take it to the elders. They are the shepherds of the church. Well, and it could be the elders are aware of a series of sermons that the minister is preaching and it's going to, you know, provide more feeding, more counsel, and things like that. They may, and, and I think elders can be a buffer for the minister where he just is not, you know, uh, the recipient of all pot shots of everybody that sits in I the agree. pew. And, but I do think that if we're going to use Matthew 18, we have to use Matthew 18 in the right context that it was written for. I agree with that. And, you know, you're right. We don't want to call an open season on our ministers. No. We don't want we don't want every person in the pew who has some gripe, some complaint, to go straight to the minister and just uh, take a whack. Especially in this day and age, I think we have to acknowledge that we have become a hypercritical culture. Absolutely. And everybody has an opinion, and everybody thinks they have a right to say it, and we don't often consider how... People that are in more of a public role, like a minister, um, can be absolutely demoralized with everyone deciding they have a right to say what they believe about him and think he should do everything from how he styles his hair down to what he preaches about a specific scripture. But some criticisms and some concerns are legitimate. Yes, they are. But they just need to be taken to the right person or persons. Right. Right. And again... The suggestion is take it to the elders. They Their responsibilities are to watch out for the flock, to care for the health and well-being of the flock, to feed the flock and tend to the needs of the flock. And one of the priorities in their job description 
and they do need to have a job description, by the way, just as the minister has one. One of, one of the priorities is surely what effect a minister is having on the church. If his influence is unhealthy or worse, dangerous, they should know about it. And they should be willing to address those concerns. Absolutely. And there are the pe- they are the people that can address them. That's right. But what would, you know, you, so you're saying you would go to the elders and let them know your concerns. Let's dig a little deeper in that. What if you, you do that and they don't do anything about it? In fact, what if they just poo-poo your concerns, make light of them, totally dismissive of you? What then? Well, again, I would say don't assume they're not or will not do anything about your concerns. They, they may ask to speak with the minister about them, all without your knowledge. Now, if time goes by and you continue to have concerns and it appears that the elders are not going to do anything about those concerns, well, I suppose you would have a decision to make. Are you going to stay with that church or will you find another church family? I would hope that person would not make any rash decisions, but at some point you may have to decide, do I stay or do I go? You know, it occurs to me that a little bit of communication in these situations can help a lot. Where um, if a person decides they need to go to the elders and share their concerns and then they never hear another thing about it or they never see much change happening, that that can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. Where if a, if a shepherd or an elder would follow up with that person and just say, you know, we want you to know that we have been spending time in prayer about your concerns. Um, we are doing something about it. It's going to take a little bit of time. But we are very grateful to you that you care so much about the health of this church. And we want you to know we care about the health of the church and about your spiritual health and that we are making, uh, we are working on it. And, um, and thank you. That little bit of information is so profound. It would go a long way. Oh my goodness. First of all, that's, you build trust with conversations like that. And, um, and you know that you have also been heard and that you are valuable too. And you also know that loyalty, again, as we said earlier, has not trumped the health and mission of the church. That their preference or their partiality over to the preacher doesn't trump their care for you. And their loyalty toward him does not t- scoot the mission of the church out of the place or some of your concerns. Amen to all that. Amen so to all I, that. I think... Um, there's just, you know, a little piece of communication could go a long way without disclosing personal stuff. Yes. I think we should say right here, honey, that, uh, you know, in our scenario, if, if the elders decide not to do anything about a problem that, that is growing and that may be glaring, if they decide not to do something about the concerns that you may have about the health of the church and so forth, I think we should say just here that, that your spiritual health is really your responsibility. I mean, you cannot abdicate that responsibility. I know what the scriptures teach, that elders are given the charge of watching out for the flock and watching out for their spiritual health. But, you know, you have to look out for your own spiritual health and for the spiritual health of your family. And you may have to take action 
if the leaders of your church will not. And, you know, I'm thinking of a passage over there in Galatians chapter 6 where Paul says that we should bear one another's burdens, but that each one must carry his own load. Mm -hmm. I think that passage may illustrate what we're saying here is that there are some responsibilities that we cannot give to someone else. Mm -hmm. We have to carry them ourselves. Yes. And while I would hope that the elders of a local church would look after me and watch out for my spiritual health, I know that in the end, it's up to me. The spiritual health of me and of my family is up to us. So I guess I would say a family may have to decide we we need to leave this church family for our own sake, for our own spiritual health, if the elders are not going to do what needs to be done to ensure the health of this particular body of Christ. Right. I'm glad you brought those verses up because in some ways they look like contradictions. Mm -hmm. But that second one, from what I understand, are two different Greek words from the first burden to the second burden. And you know this far better than I do because I can't even open a lexicon without hurting myself. Mm -hmm. But that last one, that last burden, has to do with what we are personally responsible for. Mm -hmm. And we, at the end of the day, are personally responsible for our own spiritual health and our own spiritual growth and that of the family. And I would say you and I probably are absolutely convinced and convicted that a minister that is maybe hurting your relationship with God or is a danger to your family and that you've already brought this concern to the leaders of your church, and the problem is either dismissed or not resolved, then yes, you may need to leave that church for your own spiritual health. We don't find joy in saying that, but at the end of the day, God expects you to be responsible for your walk with him and your growth and your uh, discipleship and that of your families. And it's a sad day when that happens and there's no joy in it, but you have to take responsibility that you are in a place that you can grow spiritually because we desperately need that help in this world we live in. True that. Okay. Well, my guess is we are liable to get more mail in response to this podcast episode than we did after the last one. Well, and I say good. You know, bring it on. Um, Let us hear your thoughts um, because we are trying to have healthy, thoughtful, mature, kind conversations about very vital, important topics that have to do with our walk with Christ. So, you know, bring it on. And let's talk about it because... If we're disciples of Jesus, then we should be able to have these conversations uh, with each other. And, um, and let's sign off at this point and, um, and put a tie a can to it, as Sounds you used good. to say. And to our listeners, uh, do keep those cards and letters uh, coming. <laughs> we really do appreciate your responses to these podcasts. And if you have a question about something we say, or if you think there's something we should have said, or if you want to push back on something we say, then send those to Carrie. And <laughs> <laughs> no, let us know. We appreciate your interaction with our leader, with uh, you, our listeners. Yes, we do. Well, we'll plan to return next week with another episode of the Effective Church Leaders podcast where we try to offer practical advice and insights to help you get better equipped, lead more effectively, and help your church thrive.